happy to be here with you today. We haven't met, so I'll introduce myself. Um, I'm Anna Olson. I'm a priest officially resident in the Diocese of Los Angeles, where Father Ricardo and I were colleagues and uh, living currently just outside Washington, D.C. in the Maryland suburbs. So um, I'm in Maryland, and uh, I also feel compelled to say, given the way things are unfolding this week, that, um, that I am in Wednesday right now. Um, there's already been a fair amount going on this week, and uh, there's a hurricane coming. So any number of things may have happened by Sunday. And I will trust that you and God and I will be following along with those things in prayer, in action, um, and always walking in love uh, as best we can. So if something big happens between now and Sunday, and I don't mention it today, now you know what. I want to start, since we don't know each other very well, most of us don't know each other at all, um, by stipulating to just a couple of things. Stipulating is one of my favorite legal terms. My husband's a lawyer and uh, we've been together for a long time, so we went through his law school training together. So um, I did enough helping him study and helping him study for the bar that sometimes he has to remind me that um, the unlicensed practice of law is in fact not recommended and uh, quite possibly illegal. So this is just me talking about the law, not me practicing law. Um, but when two parties get together in a legal proceeding, um, ideally there's some things they can agree on. <laughs> There are some things that they don't have to contest, um, and that's where stipulating comes in. So I want to stipulate to a couple things that, um, that we can agree on as we start walking through the scriptures together this morning. Um, and the main thing is that things these days are at least a little bit overwhelming that many of us are barely keeping our heads above water. And that at least some of us feel like huge things are being asked of us at a time when we're not sure we have even regular things in our capacity. So starting with the overwhelming, um, I am a most of my life Californian, currently living on the East Coast, and um, I've been watching California on fire. Um, as a 21-year resident of Los Angeles, I know what it's like to live through a fire season or two in California, and uh, I also have many friends and family um, further north. So. I have some sense of what you are living through every time you look out the window or into the sky or turn on the news um, or look at your phone these days. So Californians on fire, we'll start there. 
Um, because I am in Wednesday, I'm also seeing quite fresh news um, from Kenosha, Wisconsin, where there was yet another police shooting of a black man, and now um, a shooting with several fatalities at a protest um, that seems to have been carried out um, maybe by a white supremacist. I think it might be a little early to say that for sure. But um, that's kind of where that piece of the news cycle is. And I also spent some time on Monday on a Zoom call with an old friend and colleague whose kid was starting kindergarten on Zoom. And I've got a kid of my own who's starting eighth grade remotely next week. Um, but man, watching this mom and kindergartner try to wrangle Zoom kindergarten together just really made me feel for teachers, all teachers this year, and also any parents uh, with kids who are on the younger end, with kids who have any kind of learning needs that make it hard for them to just sit in front of a computer and do what they're told to do, which is a lot of kids for a lot of different reasons. And uh, so I suspect some of you are feeling overwhelmed in that department as well. And then of course we've got this hurricane um, and I just saw something fly across my phone a few minutes before I started recording about an unsurvivable storm surge that is anticipated. I don't even want to contemplate that too closely or too deeply. So some people may literally be having trouble keeping their heads above water, and many of us figuratively are not at our best. And then we're being asked to do these huge things. We're being asked to live our family lives in new ways, to support our kids in new ways. We're being asked to listen to and absorb the tremendous pain of communities that have felt unheard and gone unheard for far too long. In some cases, we're being asked to re-understand our history and our place in the world and figure out anew uh, what kind of an identity can make sense for us as Christians, as members of various parts of the dominant culture. And some of us are just really tired. Um, my African-American friends in particular on social media this week um, have been using this phrase that comes off a sort of 80s era shampoo bottle, wash, rinse, and repeat. That it just feels like there are certain things that do not stop happening. And that there's even a certain way that we play out outrage and protest and that they're still not convinced that their lives will matter the next time around or that their children's lives will matter the next time around. 
So there we are. And we come in the gospel to the story of Jesus turning and setting his sights towards Jerusalem. And the gospel tells us that Jesus shows the disciples. He begins to show the disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Peter, dear Peter, good old Peter, Peter is always up for it, always ready to go, always kind of hanging out right there at Jesus's elbow, ready to learn something, but never quite able to absorb it um, in the way that Jesus intends. And Peter, the rock on whom the church was built, takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him and says, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. Peter, as it turns out, did not agree with the whole plan. He was against the crucifixion and quite possibly against the resurrection. The rock on which the church is built. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says something pretty harsh. He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, when your teacher and your savior and your Messiah and the one who you've left everything to follow turns to you and calls you Satan, I'm guessing that doesn't feel good. I'm guessing that's not what Peter was hoping to hear in his rush to protect Jesus from all this suffering that seemed to be coming down the road. Jesus says to Peter, you are a stumbling block to me, a stumbling block, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Peter's watching the water. He's watching the water, which is, if not over his head, getting very close. They've been through a fair amount already these disciples. And he's not sure he's got a walk to Jerusalem at Jesus's side and watching a crucifixion in him. He may not even have heard the resurrection part, honestly, by the time he gets through imagining all of the other things that are going to happen if they go through with this plan to go to Jerusalem. Peter is not sure that he's got it. So why does Jesus call him Satan? Satan in biblical tradition is a source of temptation. Satan, here I am back at the lawyer, uh, the lawyer thing. Satan's like the lawyer for the other side. There's God's side, there's faith's side, and then there's Satan's side, which is like, you know, this Jerusalem thing, this crucifixion thing, this resurrection thing, this doesn't sound like a good plan. This following Jesus, this picking up your cross, this losing your life, who needs it? 
You've got enough. You got too much already. Don't go. Don't go. Remember that earlier in the gospel, Satan's the one who tempts Jesus in the wilderness, who tries to pull Jesus away from the path that's been laid out for him, who tries to pull Jesus away from doing what he's called to do and being who he's called to be. And Jesus resists those temptations. And when he hears Peter say, we got enough already. Let's not go to Jerusalem. We cannot go and say we did, but let's not go. Jesus hears that same level of temptation. He hears Satan saying, you've done enough. This last mile is a mile too far. You can say no. Just don't do it. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't learn a lot of things um, from the Bible. I learned bits and pieces of biblical wisdom and biblical knowledge from other places. And, um, and I first really learned this bit that Jesus says to Peter um, from a protest song. Uh, it's a protest song that comes from an old spiritual. And it says, I told Satan, get thee behind. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. Victory today is mine. I was something of an activist in my youth, and I uh, sung it a bunch of times on picket lines and protests. And I knew that it had roots um, probably earlier, actually, but going back at least to the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s. And as we're just remembering um, some of the giants of that movement that we are losing this year, I can imagine what that song meant to them in a new way. Um, when they were getting ready to cross a bridge where they knew that they would get beaten on the other side. When they were getting ready to go to jail, and now I've been to jail for civil disobedience, but I haven't been to Mississippi jail as a black woman during segregation. They knew what was waiting for them in those jails. And they must have been mightily tempted to turn around. But they said, I told Satan, get thee behind. Victory today is mine. So Jesus tells Peter in that one little sentence that yes, it is tempting not to go to Jerusalem. It is tempting to cancel the crucifixion and with it the resurrection. And that, yes, Jesus is going to do it anyway. He's going to go. And if Peter wants to go, 
he can go with them. And Jesus starts to talk about taking up their cross and following him, about denying yourself, about saving your life and losing your life and losing your life to save it. And what it'll profit if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your life and what you'll give in return for your life. And I was feeling overwhelmed before I read this. I was feeling overwhelmed before Jesus this week sat down and told me to pick up my cross and lose my life and give everything to this plan that we're told in advance is going to at least appear to end badly, really badly. So when I'm overwhelmed, And I'm not sure that I'm equal to what I know I'm being asked to do, to what I know God's asking me to do, to what I know I need to do, shoot, to what I know I have to do, because there are certain things that we just have to do to get through whatever it is. Whether it's evacuate our houses or sit down with our six-year-old in front of Zoom or console someone that we know who has lost someone who they love. Sometimes we just got to do the things because they're the next things. They're the things in front of us. And when I'm overwhelmed, I am the last person that I want generating my own instructions for how to do that. So I'm gonna leave you today with a gift. And it's not a gift from me. It's a gift from Paul. And uh, just like I love Peter, I love Paul. And it wasn't really in vogue for women of my generation in the church to love Paul. Um, He kind of had a reputation. But when I dug in, and started reading Paul. I love Paul. I found a kindred spirit. Um, I found somebody who I could laugh at and laugh with the way you do with a treasured friend. Somebody who was insecure and arrogant all at once, who talks too much, who tells the same stories over and over again. And yet, in the midst of all of that, is tremendously wise and tremendously faithful and tremendously courageous about being real with us, his listeners, about what it actually takes to live a life of faith. So Paul, in the letter to the Romans, which is where our reading comes from today, has just laid out this really long, really complicated, kind of show-offy theological argument that eventually gathers just about every last person under the sun into Jesus's death and resurrection and into the salvation that lies through the cross. But fortunately, we didn't get that part because honestly, between the fires, the hurricane, and the global pandemic, I couldn't have handled that today. 
What we get are Paul's instructions at the end of Romans, which are fairly succinct, fairly simple, fairly possible if we take them in very, very small bites. We get two paragraphs describing what it looks like, what we would do on a day-to-day -day basis to keep on living as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, even though when the water is just about over our heads. And the truth is we can pick even just one of the things that Paul lists and our lives will be better and our faith will be better and the lives of people we come into contact with will be better because we picked just that one thing and tried to hang on to it and tried to believe in it really, really hard. Paul says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. There's a whole other paragraph and it's full of good stuff too. So I would encourage you to go back and read it. But let's even just stick with that first bit. Let love be genuine. Hold fast to what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to those in need. Extend hospitality to strangers. When we're up to our necks or up to our noses or up to the little spiky bits at the top of our hair, these are things to grab onto. If we even pick one of these things and believe hard that it's worth doing, and live into it in every moment that life brings us this week, we are gonna be okay. We are gonna be okay. Because God's got us. And Jesus did go to Jerusalem. And he did get up on that cross. 
and he did rise on the third day. So we don't have to worry too much about how the math works out where we lose our lives and we save our lives. Our lives are saved. Our lives are redeemed. And if we just show honor this week or welcome a stranger or just love one another with mutual affection when the Zoom goes down and God knows what else is going on outside, we're going to be all right. So take this one with you. Print it out, stick it on your wall, put it on your phone, whatever you look at. And every time you're not sure what to grab hold of, just grab one of those things and see if you can hold fast to what is good. Amen.